breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. Always a lot to cover. Thanks for joining me. This is the place where we get beneath the surface, beneath the politics, and talk about the rational approach to national security, to radical Islam, to foreign policy, religious freedom, free speech, all the issues of the day that I think might apply to sort of the prism from which I grew up as the son of immigrants, and give you a unique perspective, one that you can't get in the sound bites or in the sometimes uh, rough-and-tumble world of American politics that's not only bipolar, but is obsessed with a singular a singular approach, which is simply political, rather than one that is strategic. And I think there's nowhere borne out more the clinic of the harm to our country, of a lack of foundational approach to what we do domestically and abroad than what's happening in Afghanistan this week. What is happening in Afghanistan? You have the Bidenistas telling us that this is Trump's fault. You have the followers and supporters of Trump who believe that ultimately this is completely Biden's fault. And for the most part, that latter part is probably correct for the most part. But the bigger picture that I think it's time to step out from the political back and forth is that if you are horrified by the cost to humanity and to our real allies, our real allies on the ground that have been trying to build a better future for themselves, for their daughters, for their sisters, for the future allies that we might have for secular freedom and democracy, if you were trying to figure out how to continue to support them, even with the departure of the American troops, and how that's been lost upon our departure from Afghanistan, your ire is ill-informed if it's simply because you think we're leaving. For 20 years, our establishment has pushed only military solutions to the ideological war that Islamists declared on us. Only military solutions. The appeasement of Islamists is why we are here right now. The appeasement of Islamists. And let me explain that to you, and we will navigate this terrain through the podcast today. But first, what happened? Let me lay it out for you. What happened was the United States telegraphed in May that we were going to pull out. Initially, Biden said it was going to be on 9-11, and what a what a, a colossal insult to the Gold Star families and so many that have given blood and treasure to keep us safe and fight them over there before they came over here. And the reality of the fact is that with the unbelievable blowback President Biden got from selecting 9-11, he then pushed it back, pushed it up into August. He claimed August 31st. August 30th was going to become the new end day for any true presence in Afghanistan. But we were supposed to keep an embassy there. We were supposed to keep the most expensive embassy on the planet 
because of security, because of the walls, because of other bomb, vehicular bombs, terrorism prevention mechanisms. It is probably the most expensive uh, embassy on the planet. It's close to Baghdad in its cost. But the reality is, all of a sudden things started to change over the last one to two weeks. We're not talking months of wars. One to two weeks. What the hell happened? Well, what happened was the State Department and the Department of Defense, filled with now Biden appointees, wouldn't know how to get themselves out of a paper bag. They wouldn't know how to run any foreign policy operation, military operation. They've been proven to be keystone cops who don't even know how to do that. They don't even know how to exit appropriately. There was no strategy. From the, from the diplomatic fumbling of President Biden telegraphing when we were going to leave to the selection of time, Everybody who knows Afghanistan knows there's a seasonal approach to the Taliban's military operations. And that season is where they go silent for months in the winter and are much more active in the summer like they are right now at the peak of their operational strength. Everybody knows, contrary to the speech that President Biden read off a teleprompter in July 8th, 2021, in which he said, that, oh, there be no problem with the Afghanistan troops taking over Afghanistan and protecting it because they are numbered in the 300,000s. And the Taliban is numbered in the 60,000. Five times the troops, much more better trained. And now everybody's scratching their heads. What's happened? If you've been asleep, if you've been missing from any information in the past two weeks, you'll know that the Taliban went from controlling 30 to 40 percent to then controlling 60 percent of Afghanistan within a week. And now over the weekend, they have entered Kabul and there has been a midnight exit of American personnel and citizens in a display of weakness and exit out of Afghanistan similar to what Americans recall in 1975 in Saigon as we left Vietnam in defeat, in weakness. Not because our military could not have won Vietnam, but because our politicians forced our Department of Defense to fight Vietnam in a partial way. And I'm not going to relitigate that entire conflict other than to say that what is happening in Afghanistan right now is going to be a tipping point in American foreign policy and approach with our allies and with our enemies over the next decades. It will be looked back upon August 2021, not 2020, not February 2020 when President Trump announced that we were going to withdraw from Afghanistan. While I had my disagreements also with the way that he presented it, I have also come to terms as a pretty hawkish American Muslim who believes that America should have a muscular liberalism, that it is not the role of our military to build nations. It is not the role of our military to give our blood and treasure of our citizens 
to fix the wrongs of history that have built generation after generation that cannot be fixed in a short deployment of one or two or five or ten years. And Afghanistan proved that more than ever. It is a failed state. And that failed state cannot be ushered into a successful state with simply a troop presence, whether it be 2,000, 20,000, or 100,000 troops. But what can happen is when we go for a mission that included the eradication of Al-Qaeda, that included the suppression of Taliban, that included the location and displacement and defeat of Osama bin Laden's network, and then later in 2013 on ISIS and its allies. We do that with small surgical operations, and now we've proven that a prolonged presence in Afghanistan is not necessary. Now, we can get to, yes, there's the sound bites. We've heard this week that we have presence in Korea. We have presence in Germany and Japan and elsewhere to keep the peace and that there's not significant loss of life there. There is significant differences, though. There is significant differences. First of all, those are democracies now that suffered massive, complete, and overwhelming defeats. Secondly, Afghanistan is an ally, sure, but it's not a democracy. And that government just vacated the premises with a simple withdrawal of troops of the United States. And it did not have the military network, the military training that we thought we were doing over the last 20 years. There was no infrastructure. There was no established military strength maintained. They actually, this week, were seen taking off their uniforms and putting on civilian clothes so the Taliban rushing into the cities would not know who they were. That is the troop strength that we left, that we trained? Now, there are many of them are brave, brave Afghanis that have been fighting against the Taliban and trying to keep the peace, and maybe they're not the ones to blame. Maybe they used to have air cover that was American, and they used to have support, and now they had none of it. This is not a, a one month or two into the Biden administration in which you can blame the Trump administration. It is pathetically, it is colossally pathetic that the Biden administration right now is blaming the Trump administration's peace deal from May, I'm sorry, from February 2020 as the reason for this collapse. If that's true, then it should have collapsed in May, in June 2020, November 2020. Or how about when Trump left in January 2021? No. It collapsed with the sucking sound, with the vacuum that the American military did and the State Department did in its complete and unmitigated, disastrous, incompetent withdrawal out of Afghanistan in the last two to three weeks. And it could have been done very differently. How? Obviously. Nobody's saying that a year, if it had been done perfectly, that a year or two forward and on, that the Taliban wouldn't have taken over Afghanistan. But the situation would have then proven that it was not our role and not our ability to stay and maintain a failed state. But to see the complete vacuum 
of American departure than in the wind that we created in our draft, bring in the Taliban, tells you that the key to the ushering in of one of our greatest enemies on the planet, probably second only to Iran and ISIS, is the fact that we created such a vacuum and we abandoned our allies with no plan, no strategy. What would that plan be? Oh, let me see. You have a failed state, but it has a military and has a government. So you start city by city to have engagements of their security infrastructure publicly with handoffs. And as you have handoffs, you make it staged in the least risky areas to the highest risk. And you do that over three to six months so that they don't then fill in right away. Or if they do, you push back. And you make it clear to the American people that by the next year or two, we're going to be completely out. But in the next few months, you may see a little bit of a surge of a few thousand. That's what Biden's doing right now because of his his unbelievably inane administration. They're saying they're sending a couple thousand troops to help get our citizens, our, our, our State Department staff and otherwise out safely. To get them out safely. They sent in another 1,000, another 2,000 troops. So if they had done this this way in a staged process to start with, you start then engaging publicly a handoff to telling them, we will continue to support you as allies. We will continue to be with you in the fight and then maybe even begin to engage the UN in a type Bosnia operation, be it like, Unperform the UN Protection Forces, whatever it might be, or if they say no, publicly say then if this fails, it is the UN's problem and not America's problem. Because right now, the people that are aided by our vacuum is China, Iran, Russia, that will now have been feeding the Taliban weapons that they have, and now on top of it, the Taliban within days has found American weapon cache caches caches they found supplies and others that we evacuated and left there because we couldn't take him in the rapidity in which we left with our tail between our legs it is just unfathomable that this is what the american military did at the end of a 20-year deployment 20 year but this dysfunction didn't just start under biden Now I want to transition this conversation into where did the problem begin? Under the Bush administration, it was a military deployment with 50 to 100,000 troops and more in theater that completely took control of the vast majority of Afghanistan as we continued to look through every tunnel, cave, whatever it might be that we could find radical Islamists associated with Al-Qaeda and the Taliban working together. And that probably peaked somewhere in the late Bush administration, early Obama administration. But then we started to militarily weaken, withdraw troops, and not make any measurable parameters for the new Afghanistan government to meet 
and they created a dysfunctional democracy back to a tribalisms, Sharia, and other Islamist radicalizations. And those radicalizations continued and accentuated and became more and more. We never, and this is the key, ladies and gentlemen, we never were able, left or right, to declare political Islam and Islamism as the problem that creates the militant groups like the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, and others, or Jamaat Islami in Pakistan next door. The reason the Taliban rearms itself and regroups is it hides and populates Pakistan, Iran, and other areas. Even our ally like Pakistan fed, hid Osama bin Laden, and we were all scratching our heads. How'd that happen? Sure, it happened. Because of Islamism. And ladies and gentlemen, if there's one thing we're going to learn from the weakness and the tipping point that's happened now, is we are going to learn that until we get the strength and the courage to fight political Islam and theocratic Islam, we are going to lose repeatedly. We've lost a lot now. Nobody's going to follow America into war into Islamist areas because they're going to say, oh, you get sucked in for 20 years and then you leave with your tail between your legs. This is a tipping point. It will history, history will show August 2021 was a time in which America had a massive loss against political Islam. So what are we going to do next? There needs to be a strategy. Now let's whittle down what we exactly mean by not fighting the war, not waging the war against political Islam or Islamism. How could that have been done? Well, there are so many fronts in this, right? I mean, it only took until just a couple of years ago that Saudi Arabia stopped providing complete and unfettered support to the Muslim Brotherhood globally and especially in the West. Now they've declared them their enemy, which is a good thing. Now, the methods used by Saudi Arabia are quite draconian at times and not a way to win. In fact, often when you when you try to defeat the Islamists with militant evil ways, it will empower them. It will give them the moral high ground among the Muslim population that is their constituency. But at the end of the day, that took... After 50 years of empowerment of the Islamists in the West, the Saudi royal monarchy finally woke up to the harm that they were causing, and that appears to have been ratcheted way back and led to the Abraham Accords and the delinking of Palestinian grievances with alliances with the West. Palestinian state appeasement with Hamas leadership and otherwise. But remember, what does the war, what does waging a war against political Islam mean? I've talked to you about that on this program repeatedly. I've testified to Congress about it. Instead of countering violent extremism, which was simply fighting terrorism and a tactic, we should have been countering violent Islamism. We should have been just countering Islamism as our entire strategy, which means Wherever the Islamists exist, be it domestically and abroad, we make their life miserable. We disengage them. We don't give them platforms. Like the Ilhan Omars of the world, the Muslim Student Association, Islamicide in North America, Muslim Public Affairs Council, the Council on American Islamic Relations, 
the Islamic circle of North America, on and on, the Islamist organizations that are part of the global movement of Islamism, where they see the world view of Islamic states, Islamic domination against Western secular democracies, against Christendom, against the land of war, as they call it, versus the land of Islam. Those needed a, a systematic method of marginalizing the Islamists. And then, in the meantime, we engage. We engage Muslims positively and help them build civil societies that share our values, that believe in free speech, that believe in women, in the equality of sexes, in the equality of all humanity, whether they believe in God or not, that they are under God and under a constitution that is secular, that is liberal, classically liberal, and that protects the principles of, for example, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. That could have been a strategy. That strategy would have thus dictated that we marginalize the Taliban, that we work to help them build civil society, which we did somewhat, but it wasn't really principle-based. When I was on the U.S. Commission on Religious Freedom, we went from Saudi Arabia to Indonesia to, to so many different countries that are Muslim majorities. Every one of them said, America doesn't seem to know who the real moderates are. They think moderates are those who are against terrorism, which all that is is a battle of tactics between the militant Islamists and the so-called peaceful Islamists. But they both have a dream of domination of the world with their ideology of political Islam or theocratic Islam. Be it Iran, be it Pakistan's Islamic Republic, be it the Wahhabis of Saudi Arabia, Sharia republics are not our friends. And they ultimately will feed and fuel the ascendancy or reascendancy after defeat after defeat with reascendancy of the groups like the Taliban. And without that strategy, we see now 20 years of spinning our wheels. And in Afghanistan, yes, it's a failed state because of tribalism, because of lack of education, etc. But there's data that 30, 40 years ago there were significant populations of educated women and educated communities that now have vanished or left with significant brain drains. So there was some opportunity, and there still may be some. And I think out of the ashes of this American defeat and the ascendancy of the Taliban, I think we're going to begin to see, just as we have with the fuel of the left Islamist alliance, the Red-Green alliance here in America with the socialists, the progressivists, the Black Lives Matter movement working closely with the Islamists and the Muslim Brotherhood groups, the Qatars, Irans, and Turkeys of the world. This has fueled a beginning of a blowback from those who love our freedoms and love Western democracy and love the principles and foundations that undergird our societies to begin to blow back and push back against the Red-Green Alliance. And you know you can go no further than to see how quiet the Twitter feed of Ilhan Omar has been over the past week. I am very confident that she is elated that the Islamists are dancing on the graves of any blood, tears, and treasure that we have lost in Afghanistan.
I am very confident that the Ilhan Omars of the world, the Rashida Tlaibs, who see an American conspiracy behind every failure of Muslim communities and never see any introspection and need for improvement and need for reform and modernization among Muslims, that they ultimately are seeing the warmth of the cockles of their heart. Just as the, as she said herself, Ilhan Omar, she does in Somalia, where she thinks Americans were the bigger terrorists, as she said in 2017 and beyond. When asked about 1993 and foreign American operations there, and I was there, I know that it was not anything about imperialism or other conspiracies. It was simply about helping humanitarian disasters and human rights grievances and, and, and famines and other things that were happening in the Horn of Africa and Somalia. But today, this week, the Islamists are rejoicing. President Biden's administration and his incompetence and their incompetence handed to the Islamists a narrative that America does not have the patience America does not have the will, and it never, ever came to the battlefield of ideas to fight against political Islam. And when it did, we pushed them back with the Islamophobia card. We pushed them back with their weakness, their weak spines that just wither away when they are afraid to be called bigots, when they're afraid to be called anti-Muslim. We defeated them with the religious freedom card. When it wasn't about religious freedom, that was a feign. Actually, in the prisons of many of these countries and targeted by Islamist radicals are folks that are attacked under the claim that they are anti-Islam. But when in fact, as we know here in the Muslim Reform Movement and me personally, I'm a devout Muslim. I love my faith. I believe in the moral value-based system that is my faith of Islam and the God of Abraham and his principles. But the attacks against our work, if we're against theocracy, if we're against the Islamists or even call them out, then we must be anti-Islam. The fact that America did not have the same vigor, the same pressure of a muscular liberalism from Afghanistan, from city to city, to Iraq, to Iran, all over. I mean, this week we see reports that the State Department refuses to meet with Iranian-American regime opponents. Yes, you heard that right. The Biden State Department refuses to meet with Iranian-American regime opponents. Pro-democracy Iranians, according to Adam Credo, seek Biden's aid on coronavirus. They're refusing to meet with Iranian-American activists who oppose the hardline regime now being run by the hanging judge and want the Biden administration to help Iran's population gain access to coronavirus vaccinations. The National Union for Democracy in Iran and UFDI, Coalition of Iranian-Americans who championed democracy, petitioned President Biden on Friday to use frozen Iranian assets to pay for a supply of coronavirus vaccinations that could be sent to the Iranian people. Iran has been hit hard by the pandemic, according to Credo, and the ruling regime refuses to accept Western medical aid, including American-made vaccines. 
The groups tried to meet with the State Department multiple times, as well as other issues of importance surrounding Americans, but that its requests have been ignored. And yet, the Biden administration engages in negotiations with the regime about rejoining the 15 nuclear accord. And because of their opposition, they have been denied access because of their desire to seek Western principles of freedom. So talk about bigotry of low expectations. The Biden administration not only is appeasing Islamists, it actually will not engage them because it basically wants to sentence the global Muslim communities to kowtow to the demands of regimes like Iran, Pakistan, and otherwise. And the actions of the vacuum now that was created in Afghanistan proves again that they don't care about the regular Muslims on the streets of Kandahar and Kabul and other cities. No. What they care about is their masters. What they care about is their torturers, the Islamists. Because that's who they have the political capital with. The Biden regime has been everything wonderful for the Iranian theocrats, for the Pakistani Diobandi Islamists, and for the Afghani Taliban. There could have been a way to withdraw and a method that made it clear that whatever is left want, whatever is left unsuccessful, would degenerate over time, but not because of American, a lack of American effort or a lack of American strategy and clarity. But now with the rapidity, hastiness, lack of organization and complete and utter debacle that's happening in Afghanistan, it is clear that President Biden's administration owns the disaster here that for generations is going to continue to state that it was the American vacuum that gave the Taliban its perch and likely will have future operations that it allows to be planned against our population and states in the West. And as somebody said on TV, some still wanted to be invited to the coffee parties at meetings in Europe and elsewhere, so they didn't want to didn't want to offend. But without any UN plan, without any withdrawal discussion, there could have been other uh, open meetings. And there's no doubt there's criticism to be had here. Secretary Pompeo, for his wonderful, I think he's one of the best Secretary of States we ever had, he felt it was necessary to negotiate with the Taliban. And he defended that even this week. Claims that you make peace with your enemies. Yeah, that's a great quotation. You can't disagree with that. But the Taliban is a terror organization. You don't negotiate with terrorists. That's been an American standard that President, that uh, Secretary of State Pompeo himself has said many times. And I could not disagree. You know, agree with that more. To think that somehow when you sit down to negotiate, you do it with folks that have something to lose, that that do not see the world as 
something they would simply all commit suicide to see end because they want to all go to whatever they see as their end-of-time scenario. Has he sat down with the government of Iran, with the Khomeinists? Why would the Khomeinists be any different from the Taliban? So these are things that there's valid criticism to make, and we can have a debate, but that's what should happen, is have this debate publicly. And the Trump administration's discussion and the way they did it, be it in Syria or Afghanistan, withdrawals withdrawal, we will do so, but the way it's done makes a hell of a difference. And the method of abandonment of our allies, even translators and others now that Biden administration claimed that we were going to help and make sure they weren't harmed. And now they're all going to be left behind. Stripes magazine is reporting that they they are left behind. We could barely get our own personnel out with their backpacks and duffel bags in midnight on Sunday night. Let alone all the contractors and others that needed to come out because they are going to be pillaged and tortured. God help them. God protect them. Meanwhile, our borders wide open to criminals and otherwise that might come in without hardly any vetting. And they're being allowed in first and asked questions later. By Afghanistan, no, we, we'll just abandon them, the entire country and folks that have been working side by side with our military to protect us from threats there as well as protect their own populations for 20 years. Talk about hypocrisy. Talk about creating a milieu in which America is no longer trusted. I'll say it again. Why would anybody, why would anybody want to work with America for freedom and liberty if we are going to abandon and then not have any strategy for exit and in fact, even for, even for the good that we did, we then left it for abandon. I think there is some analogy to troops we've left elsewhere, but the failed state of Afghanistan, we do troop presence to leave a presence as a state is able to be supported and supports itself, be it South Korea, Germany, Japan, etc., but we cannot become the state that is not only foolhardy nation building, it becomes colonial. And that's not who we are. Iraq, because of Obama's, not as quick as Afghanistan, but his, his relatively rapid withdrawal, also then needed a surge, and then another withdrawal now has been handed over to Iran. Now, I think the loss of Iraq to Iran happened because of the Iran deal, not because of how we withdrew. There was a lot more staging involved and a lot more public engagement about the government, etc., than was done in Afghanistan. I'll repeat as I end this podcast. We'll have a lot more to cover on this over the next few weeks. But if you're horrified by the cost to humanity and to our real allies that we've lost upon our departure from Afghanistan, your ire is ill-informed. 
It's not just a departure. For 20 years, our establishment pushed only military solutions to the ideological war that Islamists declared on us. And ladies and gentlemen, the appeasement of Islamists is why we are here. No strategy, no engagement, no complete and broadsided public uh, 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 battle against political Islam from Al Jazeera to Farsi, to Farsi TV, Press TV, Turkish TV, and on. We never took on the Islamists. We didn't do so like we did in the Cold War for decades. We might have failed in Vietnam, but finally we did not have to engage the Soviet Union and they fell apart because we had an ideological war. We would have never won that militarily without severe, severe losses against the Soviet military. But we won it non-militarily. We won it because the Cold War was fought ideologically against the ideology of Soviet autocracy and communism. That's what we have to do. So if there's anything we've learned, please tell your friends about the realities that we need to engage. We can start now. We have to start now. It's never too late. A military withdrawal, a military withdrawal does not mean that we can't continue to push non-militarily. And we will have surgical attacks that will, will be necessary and more necessary because of the hasty amateur withdrawal that happened in the last month, last few weeks now. A lot more to come. God bless you all. Share this podcast. Find me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R. And find me on Facebook at MZ Jasser. God bless. This is Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.